Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. If you're a Kia K5 GT and Kia Forte GT owner, this is your reminder to breathe. See that sophisticated interior? Enjoy those sensations. And now, imagine how you look from the outside and that speed that only a Kia GT sedan can give you. Sorry, I can't help but get excited. For those lives full of thrilling emotions, the all-powerful, all-fun Kia GT sedans. Kia, movement that inspires. Limited inventory available. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Sky, our national Lee Enterprise weather podcast. I'm Matt Hollander, covering weather for all of Lee's Midwest websites and apps from Chicago. And I'm joined by my fellow meteorologist, Joe Martucci in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and Sean Sublett in Richmond, Virginia, our fourth co-host of the show, Kirsten Lang, still on maternity leave. But if you follow her on social media, it looks like she's doing just fine now, spending time with the new baby. Now, technically, it's not astronomical or official summer yet, but it is June, and meteorological summer has begun, and that means it's thunderstorm season. And it's the lightning in those thunderstorms that we want to focus on for this episode. We're going to talk lightning safety, share some lightning stories, but the main thing we're here to do is bust some lightning myths. Now, there are quite a few out there, but we've narrowed it down to five that seem to be the most common. So without further ado, here's our top five lightning myths. And at number five, when it gets real hot, a special kind of lightning with no thunder occurs called heat lightning. Oh, boy. Uh, guys, which one of you wants to tackle this? Oh, I'll, I'll jump all over. Oh, oh God, John. You sound more enthusiastic about this. I, I want you to take it. I totally am because I'm an old man. Um, because, no. No, I remember this because I remember in the 70s being a kid here in Virginia and seeing the flashes uh, out in the in the distance, and you know, my parents are well. That's heat lightning. Oh, well, what does that mean? Oh, it's just heat lightning. And you know, they didn't know. So it's okay for people to not know, but now we do know what's going on. I mean, that you know, it's forty five, fifty years ago. Um, it's just thunderstorm that's too far away to hear the to hear the thunder. I mean, obviously, you're going to see lightning from a much longer distance at night because there's no other light around. The sun's not out. So you could see the flash from lightning from dozens and dozens of miles away. I think I've told this story before. There was one time I got out of a baseball game when I was working in Lynchburg, and I saw a flash on the eastern horizon. I'm like, is that a thunderstorm? And I checked my radar. I'm like, yeah, it was a thunderstorm 110 miles away. Well, clearly, you're not going to hear that thunder. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's one of these things that, that people are like, they expect to hear thunder if they see lightning. And for them, it's, it's really tough to, to imagine one without the other. But yeah, it's just, it's just a thunderstorm that's too far away. Uh, and it happens most often during the summer. A lot of times, like I'm coming back from work, I'm on this road called the Garden State Parkway, which Sean knows about. Oh, nice, yeah. Very nice road. I spend many, many miles on it. But 
when you're by the office, it actually gets very flat because you have a river running through. There's a lot of marshland. Um, you got uh, some of the barrier islands to your east. To the west, you have um, Pine Barren. So it's it's very flat there as well. And I've seen, you know, lightning like way in the distance. And I'm like, where the heck is that lightning coming from? Like, I, I don't remember seeing any storms nearby. And there's a couple of times where, like, I, I checked, you know, when I got back home and I'm looking on Radar Scope, a great weather app, uh, $9.99 if you guys are interested. But <laughs> does your lightning. And the lightning's in, like, near Philadelphia. And that's, like, 60 miles away. So you, you can see lightning for a long, you know, distance. Granted, the ground is flat and, you know, you can you have the world to see around you. But, you know, the thunder won't always come there. And especially if you're looking out over the ocean. I mean, can't get much more flat and calm than the ocean there. Um, so a lot of times if you're out at sea, you know, you can see mile, you can see, you know, lightning for, you know, tens and tens of miles away. That's one of my most favorite things to do when I've, I have been at the beach uh, and looking offshore and to see thunderstorms out over the Gulf Stream current, ocean current. They're yeah. Just at night and they're just putting on a show and, you know, you're 60 miles away from them and you could see the outlines of the clouds Just sit out on the porch and just watch those things for you know, half an hour uh, until the beer is gone. You know, I mean, it's just a great show out there. And uh, yeah, so yeah, that that's my story. I think people just associate uh, heat lighting, this idea of heat lighting, because it often does happen in the summer when it's hot outside in the evening, it's real muggy and humid and they just see lightning, but they don't hear thunder. And so this whole concept is like, well, maybe it's just because it's hot and just lightning spontaneously occurring. It's like, no, uh, there is a real thunderstorm. It's not just lightning in the sky. It may not be raining where you are. You may not hear the thunder. The light is just traveling farther than the sound. But there's a real thunderstorm. Somebody's getting some rain. It's just not you. Okay, moving on to our number four lightning myth. Water and metal attract lightning. Now, attract is the key word here. Now, it is true that water and metal conduct electricity and therefore lightning, but they don't attract lightning on their own. And I think where people get confused is that when we're talking lightning safety, we tell people to get out of the water, get that metal golf club out of your hand. And we say that because if lightning strikes the water you're in or strikes the golf club you're holding, it will travel through the water and metal and strike you. But it's actually not the water or metal that's making it more likely that you'll get struck. What lightning is really attracted to are tall, pointy objects. So when the lightning is coming out of a cloud, it wants to connect with something as soon as possible. So it typically goes to the tallest object around. Now, if you're standing on a golf course with your club raised in the air, uh, there's a good chance you'll be the tallest object around. And that raises your chances of getting struck. So the biggest thing when it comes to lightning safety is don't be or be near the tallest object. Uh, guys, do you have anything to add here? No, I, I like how you said attract. That that's definitely the key word there. Um, but I, I think you hit it spot on there, Matt. You know, you, you definitely don't want to be in water or near metal when there's a thunderstorm. But it's not necessarily increasing your your chances of uh, you know getting struck. But it will. You know, it's just not a good place to be. Don't be in the pool when there's a thunderstorm. Is the uh, the short story with it? Yeah, and that's the other thing. If you're out on a lake, lake is flat, and you're on a boat, you're the only thing sticking up. So you're also closer to the to the electricity that's coming down out of the sky, uh, yeah. So it isn't so much it isn't so much the uh, the conductivity 
attracting the lightning, but once the lightning gets there, uh, it's very conductive. Yeah, I know. Another lot of lightning strike victims are people that are fishing out on a lake, and you've got that fishing rod in your hand, and you're holding it up in the air, and if you're on a flat lake and there are not many trees around, suddenly, guess what? You're the tallest object holding that fishing rod in the air, and so that's where the lightning is going to go. But, you know, I think because of all the, you know, we hear about all the lightning strikes that occur near bodies of water, but oftentimes just because you're the tallest object, you're in a flat area and you're the tallest object. And certainly water does conduct electricity. And if you're standing in the lake and say lightning strikes in the middle of the lake, which could happen, that lightning can travel to the sides of the lake. So you don't want to be in water, but it's not the water attracting the lightning. I think that's where the confusion comes from. Are the metal attracting lightning? They conduct electricity, but they don't necessarily attract it. Okay, so moving right along. Our number three lightning myth. Lightning never strikes the same place twice. So if your house has been struck by lightning or you've been struck by lightning, it's never going to happen again. No, no, no. Martucci should take this one first because you're closer to New York and there's a place in New York that I think about immediately. Uh, yeah, the Empire State Building. Bingo. Uh, lightning sometimes strikes the same place in like an hour. Uh, the vetting of what happens. Uh, I think with this, it's a uh, matter of uh, the Earth is a very big place and lightning is a fairly small phenomenon. And the chances of it hitting the same place twice are low. However, if you have a lightning rod, like the Empire State Building does, or some other places, it will attract more lightning. Now, I do have a story, though, with this. In high school, we actually had a meteorology class. Do you guys ever have a, do you guys have a meteorology class in high school? Not at high school, no. It was combined with uh, oceanography, I think. Oh, what was the other thing? Okay. It, was, it was a combined. They threw meteorology in with a, a couple of other subjects. And geology. I think it was WMO or weather. It was like an earth science class. Weather, geology, and oceanography, I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, we had our own semester of meteorology and astronomy, too. And our professor, Al Erds, claims that he got struck by lightning twice in his life uh so he says uh that uh one time he was like working on a sink or something at his house and lightning hit the house and it like traveled through and he briefly got shook by lightning and then another time i can't remember uh most of us kind of believed it because and i al ernst and i very nice guy i've talked to him a couple of times but uh he has that like mad professor you know nutty professor kind of look to him so we're like oh maybe he's on something there and his hair is like, you know, up and all over the place. Um, but uh, no, it's it's similar to tornadoes too. You know, tornadoes can be big, right? It can be a mile wide. But a mile is very small when it comes to the size of the earth. And as a result, you know, it's hard for a tornado to really hit the same place twice as well. It's kind of the same concept here. So can it happen? Sure, it could happen. But unless you're at somewhere with a lightning rod, the chances of it actually hitting the same place twice are very low. But another good example is is right here in Chicago, the Willis Tower. It gets struck dozens of times a year. Uh, it's the tallest building in Chicago. So guess where the lightning likes to strike? The the tallest building is a it's a good target for it. So yeah, it happens in dozens of times at the Willis Tower in Chicago and the other skyscrapers, but oftentimes it's the Willis Tower because it's the tallest. Okay, well on that note, I'm gonna take a short break, uh, but don't go anywhere because we still have two more lightning myths to discuss. So stick around more across the sky right after this.
Welcome back, everyone, to the Across the Sky podcast. We release new episodes every Monday on all our Lee's news websites, but also on all podcast platforms. So wherever you like to browse your podcasts, you can find us there. And uh, if you can subscribe and give us a rating, we sure appreciate it. Okay, we are counting down the top five lightning myths. And our number two lightning myth is one that can definitely be dangerous if you believe it. If it's not raining, you're safe from lightning. Now, a lot of times people hear thunder or see lightning and they're in the middle of something. And if it's not raining yet, they try and squeeze in a little bit more of that activity. But boy, that's not a good idea, right guys? Uh, no, and this actually ties into your point number five here uh, about heat lightning, because uh, you can not you can have lightning without the rain, uh, as we just said. So it's exactly um, it ties in very nicely with our our fifth myth here. I'll uh, toss it over to Sean because I know he had something to say too. Yeah, I remember earlier on about a year or so ago we had our our pal Chris Vagaski who was with uh, Visala uh, talking about this and. I think he posted very recently on Twitter the correlation between rainfall and and lightning injuries, and and you see that most most lightning injuries or fatalities happen when it's not raining because, you know, one people it's not raining yet so they do want to be outside a little bit longer, so if there's a big thunderstorm and it's pouring down rain you're not running around outside anyway, um, so, and then sometimes people will go outside too early. Rain is done, like it's it's over, but it but it's not. So and the, most of the most of the injuries and fatalities happen when it's not raining. People are going or trying to get one more thing in, or they don't think it's that close, or they left too early after the storm they think is over. But we we always remind people lightning can easily strike ten miles away from the center of a storm. So as as the rhyme goes, when thunder roars go indoors sounds a little cheesy but that that's kind of it once once you hear the thunder just just go inside i try to tell people don't have to be dramatic just mm, thunder time to go inside so just go inside you know and then the question i get is that well how long do i have to wait how long do i have to stay inside and and the rule of thumb is well keep listening for that thunder and then wait 30 minutes after the last rumble of thunder and then it's safe to go back out and resume the activity. So that's why it takes a while, but you do have to be patient. That is to ensure your safety. So wait 30 minutes after the last rumble of thunder, and then it's safe to go back outside. Is that still, I, I'm actually curious, is that still a thing, the 30 minute rule? Yeah, that's totally still a thing. I mean, I've heard some arguments about, well, you're probably okay after 15, and that that's probably true depending on how fast a particular storm is moving away. But I think that the catch-all right now is is thirty minutes is is safest. Yeah, it has a lot to do with how quickly the storm is moving. You know, some of these storms are just crawl. You know, and that's the thing; it's not really getting that far away from you now. You got a big squall line along a cold front. The thunderstorms are probably going to clear the area a lot faster. And so, you know, thirty minutes is probably a, maybe a, a little bit too much. But especially for you know, you get in the southeast and those little pop-up storms that just kind of want to hang out in one spot and just linger and feed off all that humidity. So it's really out of abundance caution. Just we want to avoid those those lightning strikes that do occur 10, 15 miles from the storm, those bolts out of the blue, as they're called. But sometimes, of course, if, if a thunderstorm has already been ongoing, it's not out of the blue anymore. It's just like, when is this thing going to end? Is this storm ever going to end? Because I know there's some storms that just go on 
and on and on, especially in the thick of summer when the humidity is really high. Like this wildfire smoke we're having here just goes on and on and on and on. <laughs> right, week three of this. I went away to Italy. There was smoke when I left. I come back. There's smoke. It's a bad scene, and that's another discussion for another time. I think. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a future podcast episode. Uh, I think that is that is correct. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But for now, we 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 still have one more myth for you. Our number one lightning myth: rubber tires or rubber shoes keep you safe from lightning. And guys, I have a good story about this one. So I'm sitting on a plane in Oklahoma City waiting to take off. And the pilot comes on the speaker and he says, you know, well, folks, we've been delayed due to thunderstorms in the area. So we're going to be on the ground a little bit longer, but don't worry. We're sitting on rubber tires. So we don't have anything to worry about. Okay, guys, <laughs> let me tell you, when I heard that, I mean, it took everything in my body, everything in my body to stop myself from standing up and said, no, stop spreading weather myths. I mean, guys, I'm assuming you've dealt with this one too. No, so you're safe because you're in a Faraday cage. It has nothing to do with the damn tires. The lightning hits the plane. It's going to arc around the plane on the and the exterior and the fuselage, and you're fine inside. It's not going to. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised you didn't just storm the cockpit, Matt. After that kind of stuff, I was just like, oh, it was just boiling up in me. Like, no, stop, please. <laughs> so many people believe that one. They really do. Now, I'm actually surprised that that the it took everything in your body to stop you from standing up and going there because you must have had a pretty big seat on the plane for you to actually like want to like get up and get out of the plane and then start moving down. You must have <laughs> been flying first class. Are you flying first class for this one? Oh no, no I'm I am not a first class <laughs> person at all. <laughs> Give me um, those economy seats, baby. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I laugh. At, I <laughs> laugh when you were talking about the rubber soles on your shoes because. The rubber soles on your shoes are so small compared to the power of the uh, the lightning. Uh, you you have uh, no shot, unfortunately. The, the even even the most pumped up Jordans aren't going to uh, save you on that one. Um, but yes, as Sean said, it's going to go around the plane or around you know your your car. It's not going to be yeah. the. That's the other thing is it will it will hit the car and go around the car. You may never be able to drive the car again. Right. But as long as you're not hanging out of the window, you're going to be okay. Again, the car is going to be a mess. Some of the stuff might melt. The tires might get messed up. Um, but the tires aren't saving you. The fact that you're in kind of a safety cage where the lightning will, will hit the metal and kind of follow the metal and not jump into the cab where you are is what keeps you safe. Yeah. Yeah, so to be clear, motorcycle, not safe, not a safe place to take shelter. No. <laughs> those just get on your motorcycle or get on your bicycle and say, oh, I've got the rubber tires. I'm good to go. But also there's one thing that I think often gets overlooked. We always say, you know, a safe place to be if you can't get inside a building is to get in your car and you'll be safe as long as you're not touching anything metal in the car and the windows are rolled up. But that's not true if it's a convertible or a soft top vehicle because suddenly you don't have that metal roof anymore. And that lightning bolt can come right through that soft top. So I used to have a Jeep Wrangler and I always got nervous when I was driving in a thunderstorm because I'm like, this is not safe. Lightning could come through this roof. Uh, fortunately, it yeah. never happened. But uh, convertibles, soft tops, not safe. You have to be getting a vehicle with a hard top. That is important. You know, Matt, you've had some pretty cool cars because don't you have a Mustang right now too? No, 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 no. It, it's a Camaro. 
a command. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. <laughs> Let us be clear. I did not mean to shortchange you whatsoever by there. But it's uh, still pretty good, but not as good as the whole Chevy versus Ford thing coming back. <laughs> yeah. out. Oh, my heavens. That, that, I'm a Chevy guy, too. I just don't have a Camaro. I have a Chevy Trailblazer. But, uh, uh, you're pretty cool, man. You're pretty cool. You must have been a really, you know, cool guy in high school, going from the Wrangler to the uh, to the Camaro. Only cool cars here. That's no, I understand. That. I understand. One day there may be kids, and the coolness is going to have to be downgraded. But oh, not oh, yet. Dang it. What What was your first car, Joe? What was your first car? What was my first? I had a 1991 yeah. Toyota Camry. That's fine. That's fine. And this you was 2008. In 2008. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. I well, actually got your... voted. Sorry. No, what 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 was got voted what? I got voted third worst car in the parking lot in high school. Well, what was your first car, Matt? Uh no, the Jeep Wrangler was my first car. Okay, the Jeep was the first car. Yeah. All right. So your first car, Sean. I've got all of y'all beat. So my first car was given to me by my grandfather. Same year. Same year for just for Brad's His 1977 Brown. Buick Regal. Wow. After having it for 10 years, he gave it to me in 1987. Uh, and people I went to college with remember what that car looks like uh, or looked like. And I drove it till it would drive no more. Mm. Well, so it, I'm curious if you had, Sean. And you're, uh, and you're, oh, wow. That's a really good question. So after that, after that, I bought an, a used Oldsmobile. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you're like the, you were like the anti <laughs> It did, I, oh, I, absolutely. It was you know, the, the classic, you hear it called Oldsmobile because it was so huge. But when that finally died, I got my first new car, a 1994 Chevy Cavalier. Okay, cool. So, right. Yeah, it was my first new car. Nice. nice. Practical improvement. You know, all those cars will keep you safe from, from lightning. That's, That's true. Yes, That's all that matters. None, none were convertibles. So, yes, right. they all kept me safe. Is your Camaro a hard top? Yes, it is. I did not get the, the because uh, I'm remembering my lightning safety. I said, I, I'm not going to go through the anxiety of having a soft top anymore. It's going to be a hard go. top, and I'm going to say safe from thunder. If Matt can do it, you guys can do it too. Exactly. Yeah, your, your next car. And uh, with that, there you have it. That's our top five lightning myths. Now, we're going to take another quick break, uh, but stick around because we've got a new segment we're debuting on Across the Sky. Listener questions. And our first one is an interesting one, so don't go anywhere more across the sky, coming right up. Looking beyond the atmosphere, here's Tony Rice with your Astronomy Outlook. A supernova appeared in the night sky recently. It was first spotted in mid-May by amateur astronomer Koichi Itakaki. This supernova, named SN2023IXF, is the closest one that we've seen in about five years, but it's still 21 million light years away. To look at this another way, for you geology types, this was the early Miocene era, when the African and European continents were still running into each other. For you biology types, we're still about 19 or so million years away from the earliest known humans. This star exploded 21 million years ago, and we're just seeing it now. It's in the beautiful Pinwheel Galaxy, named for its spiral arms filled with about a trillion stars and nebulae where those stars begin their lives. But supernovas, they occur at the end of a star's life. And this is a type 2 supernova, which means it's the result of a very violent, very rapid collapse of a star dozens of times larger than our own sun. 
as it continues to collapse and continues to cool, it's either going to become a neutron star or maybe a black hole. Just don't expect to see this with the naked eye. While Itagaki-san is technically an amateur astronomer, he's CEO of his family's snack food company by day, and supernova hunter by night from his home observatory in the mountains outside of Yamagata, Japan, he's also credited with dozens of discoveries, including three minor planets, and has co-authored hundreds of papers on supernovae. SN2023 IXF has been observed between magnitude 11 and 16, which is out of the reach for most backyard telescopes. Except the Takaki suns. That's your Astronomy Outlook. Follow me at RTP Hokey for more spacey stuff like this. Welcome back, everyone. And before we wind things down today, we're going to view something new here on Across the Sky. Now, all three of us get questions on social media and email from viewers asking questions about the weather. And since some of the same questions keep popping up, we said, uh, why not make this into something for the podcast? So that's what we've done. And Joe, you've got the first question this week, right? Yeah, I do. It's the first question this week. It's from uh, my Twitter buddy, Glenn Donahue. Um, now, he was asking this more on a New Jersey perspective, but we're going to expand this nationwide. He wanted to know, how come we don't ever have a temperature from the beach? How come the temperatures from, he's saying, Pomona? Now, I'll fill in what he means. He's saying that um, the major weather recording site in my corner of New Jersey is inland at Atlantic City or National Airport. He wants to know how come we don't get a major reporting site on the beach, like, you know, Atlantic City or Ocean City or Cape May. So that's a very good question because this can actually be parlayed into really anywhere in the country here. It doesn't have to be in New Jersey. You can be in Virginia where Sean is. You can be, you know, in, even in Illinois where Matt is because it really... um goes to show, uh, or I'll kind of give you a little bit of the inner workings on how these stations come about. So official reporting stations are typically, in the weather world, we call them F6 stations. They're typically located at airports or other major reporting sites. So, for example, New York City Central Park is also one of these sites, even though it's not an airport. However, there's only so many of these in the world because they need to meet a certain standard and criteria in some cases, these are observed with human input. There's human observers that are actually there as well, and they're just not everywhere. So when it comes to beach and inland areas, you have to really look and make sure that the temperature, you know, where you're getting your temperature from is from this area that's representative of your climate. If you're in a microclimate region, anywhere along the water can be one of those Sometimes those numbers are misleading, like in Chicago, right? I think we have O'Hare and Midway. They're both inland. They're not on the lakeshore. So you could be, you know, 62 degrees right on the lakeshore, but you go inland a couple miles to O'Hare and you're at 79 and the official Chicago temperature is 79 degrees. You know, when you break record highs and record lows and record rainfall, it comes from these major reporting stations that may or may not be representative of where you are and your phone app might not tell you that um but we will we will tell you that here at all of our lee enterprises um publications i'll just i'll flip it over to you sean because i know you know you got virginia you got the shoreline there i'm sure there's probably something like that going on in virginia yeah as you alluded to a lot of this goes back to how the equipment you know it has to meet a certain standard uh and there are a lot of places in the last 20 years that have plopped up you know um weather stations but no one can 
can vouch for their accuracy or how consistent a record is. You know, so for a lot of these places where we do, quote unquote, the official temperature, there is a climate record of that site that goes back dozens and dozens of years, some places even more than 100 years, like Central Park in New York City, for example. Yeah. Um, so that's why we, we will look at those because they have they have a very long term record of, of temperature, humidity, you know, and all wind and all those types of things. But, you know, in the last 10 or 15 20 years. The, a lot of the a lot of the technology has increased dramatically so that weather sensors are more accurate than than they've been in I've got one in my backyard and it's wonderfully accurate in terms of the temperature and the humidity but you know we got a lot of trees and uh, it it doesn't do the wind very well. And that's the other thing you have to think about when you're looking at some of these other you know weather observations are they sighted properly? Again, I, I wouldn't look at the data I have in my backyard about wind at all. But, you know, at an airport, for example, it's pretty wide open. So you get a very representative sample of what the wind is like. So I think a lot of that is it goes back to sighting. It goes back to, to the equipment. It goes back to how long the period of record is. And the reason that they're, they're at airports anyway is because, well, it's very important when you're flying a plane and you want to put that thing down to know what the weather is doing. Exactly. And the other thing is, too, they also have a lot of open land around you. I think you need a hundred. Is it a hundred foot radius without trees to have one I, of those official? I um, don't remember offhand. I don't remember offhand. We could really do a whole podcast episode about how to properly set up a home weather station because there, yeah, it, it, a lot of people do it, but there are a lot of mistakes made along the way that can have a really big impact on the kind of temperatures you're getting on the wind speeds that are being registered, there is definitely some some instructions to follow to set up accurate weather station. Um, and so that's that's the issue is getting good quality data. And there actually is a pretty involved process. So that's why they're not even more weather stations that are considered official. And we don't have more observations because to get accurate information, it does have to be set up in a certain way and in a certain location. Uh, so yeah, yeah that, that, this was a great first question for us. Now, Joe, I think this one came in via Twitter, but we do have a more fun way for people to get in touch with us now, right? We do. We do. Before we get to there, I just want to clarify one thing on Glenn's specific point. I don't want to discredit what the National Weather Service has done in New Jersey with this because Atlantic City, now they do break out records for Atlantic City and Atlantic City International Airport, even though the airport is inland and the, and the Atlantic City is on the coast. They just started doing that about two years ago. But before that... You didn't. You had this kind of convoluted system of where the records were coming from. So that issue has been resolved locally here for us in New Jersey. Um, but in other places, you may still have. You know, you might not have a reporting station there, or you may have some kind of system where it's not accurately showing records for those um, coastal and inland locations. But yeah. yes, we do have a phone line for you to call in and ask your questions here. We will be listening to them. We'll be answering them in the weeks and years ahead. The phone number is 609-272-7099. Again, that's 609-272-7099. So call, leave your name, where you're coming from, um, give you your weather questions. You can let us know about the podcast too. Maybe if we're feeling a little spunky, we'll answer some off-weather question content too. But we're going to keep it uh, mostly to weather here on the voicemail. We appreciate any and all voicemails about your weather or climate questions. 
uh, we'll definitely try to answer them during the show. So thanks a lot in advance for uh, for giving us a ring and for sticking with us here at the Across the Sky podcast. We've uh, done well with our numbers here, and you know we've only been around for about 14 months, and um, you know we're we're happy with our progress and listenership and expanding into new regions and other ways to listen to us. We have a YouTube channel as well. You can look up Across the Sky for that too if you want to listen on YouTube. Um, so we're giving you more options to interact with us. Yeah, we'll be sure to put that phone number in the show notes as well. Just another, yeah, exactly. Another way, would I start hearing from the audience a little bit more? Another way for you to interact with the show, you know, and, and besides calling in with questions, if there's a certain weather topic you'd like to hear us talk about on a future episode, call about that too. We'll be sure to cover it. Uh, now, before we wrap up, Sean, what do we have coming up next week? Yeah, next week we are very happy. We're getting closer to the start of summer. Uh, and then summer heat, and then you know more and more discussion about about climate change. Of course, when we get into the the summer, because it tends to be hotter. So next week we've got a very special guest, climate scientist Kate Marvel, of Project Drawdown. Doctor Marvel uh, worked for about seven or eight years at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center in suburban D.C. Uh, she's a very well respected climate scientist. She's done a lot of outreach. She's got a TED talk, um, and so we're going to talk about. Project Drawdown and their Drawdown Roadmap, which is something they've recently released. And and we're not going to get too deep into the weeds, uh, but this Drawdown library highlights 93 science-based solutions to stop climate change. We won't tackle all 93 of them, um, but it is very, very detailed in, in the science-based science, science solutions they put together. So we're going to talk to her about the roadmap uh, next week, right ahead of the first day of summer. That's right. That'll be our episode also the day after Father's Day, June 19th. Definitely <laughs> looking forward to that one. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Across the Sky. On behalf of Lee Enterprises and my fellow meteorologists, Joe Martucci in Atlantic City, Sean Sublett in Richmond, and myself, Matt Hollander in Chicago. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you again soon. At Strayer University, we see you striving to work harder and go further. That's why we provide you with the tools you need to get there, like offering a brand new laptop when you enroll in a bachelor's program. So you can do your coursework anytime, anywhere, and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Eligibility rules, restrictions, and exclusions apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.